Do you ever worry that your best days might be behind you? <laughs> Every day, do you worry about that? I went to the doctor a while back and said, doctor, I feel like there might be something wrong with me because all the stuff I used to be able to do, I can't do anymore. I, I go eat this big lunch and then I just, I can't think, like I want to take a nap. I said, and, and sometimes if I eat too much at dinner, I can't sleep at night. And I, I'm wondering if there's maybe something, like, something broken in my body where all the things that I used to do, I used to just eat burritos all day long, I'd be fine, but I just feel like gross all the time. And he said, okay, let me take a look, right? And he said, lay down. So I lay down. He said, do you ever have heartburn? I said, no, no, no. He said, okay, go like this with your fingers. Now touch your esophagus. I'm like, ow. He said, that's heartburn. He said, do you eat a lot of spicy food? I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. He said, do you ever eat out? I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. And he like pushes the button and I go, maybe that was the dentist. He put, I don't know what happens. I go back up. I'm sitting up again. And he goes, I think I know what's wrong with you. And he looked me right in the eyes. He said, it's called getting older. What? What's the cure? Right? How, do I, how do I go back in time? I, I don't want to think this was me at like 30, right? I don't want to think that I peaked already physically, and now it's all downhill from there. But in a sense, I wonder if it's all downhill from here. You know, I hurt my shoulder uh, like six weeks ago. I don't even know what I was doing really to hurt my shoulder. I just, I, like one morning woke up and I'm like, Jeez, what is that's weird? I feel like I like threw my arm out or something, and and six weeks later I still can't like throw a ball. Think, what is happening to my body? It's like I'm decomposing while I'm still alive. That's what it feels like sometimes. And I know if you're over 38, like I am, you're thinking, "Come on, just wait till you hit whatever age you're thinking in your brain." Right? <laughs> and the truth is, the bodies that we live in become increasingly broken the longer we live in them. Just like my house that I live in becomes increasingly broken the longer I live in it. In the series on Walking with Jesus, one of the desires that, that is in us that we're sensing as we're learning how to follow the Lord in life is that in a spiritual sense, right, even though our bodies are breaking down, right, even though on the outside we're wasting away, some of us, our hope is that spiritually, our relationship with Jesus will be up and to the right. I guess that's this way for you. Up and to the right until the day we meet him in, in glory. Like there's this hope that as we grow, we, we get better and stronger. We sin less. We do more for God. Our passion grows. Our knowledge grows. We, we don't waver as much. We don't hesitate as much. We're not scared anymore. We just go all out, and we're just all in because the last day of our Christian life will be a thousand times better than our first day because it's just like a rocket of growth. But that doesn't happen, does it? And we've been walking with the Apostle Peter and in a sense, in where we land today in Matthew 26, and we're not going to read it because we're going to walk through the whole passage, but in Matthew 26, we see Peter at the pinnacle of his discipleship relationship. And he spent three years with Jesus. It's been a long time since that's that initial, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter has gotten to learn from Jesus and hear about the theology of the kingdom. He's got to practice some of that theology and, and learn how to do amazing things he never did before. 
He's walked on water. He's stood with Christ in amazing moments of glory. He's gotten rebuked by Jesus. He's almost like he's gone through the basic training that it needs to go and be deployed to make disciples of all nations. Right? At this point, his training is almost over. Right? Jesus just gave his final lesson before Jesus goes alone to the cross, raises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and then sends Peter and the others off. Their training is over. In terms of spiritual fitness, Peter should be as fit as a person walking out of a military basic training and thinking, I just went through the gauntlet, but wow, look at me now, right? That's where he should be. But on the day where Peter is supposed to be at the pinnacle of his Christian experience, we watch as Peter crashes and burns more drastically than ever before. Now, the truth is we have this desire that our spiritual lives would grow and increase and get better the older we get. But, but as we try to live out our Christian desires in these bodies that are breaking down, in this world that is breaking down, in this mind that is breaking down, with this heart that is breaking down, the truth is a lot of times the way that spiritual growth happens is not just this linear up and to the right, but sometimes now, 30 years after starting to follow Jesus, your passion is less than what it was when it started. You feel like your knowledge is less than it was when you started. You feel like your obedience is less than it was when it started. You feel like you're crashing and burning now in ways that you didn't 20 years ago, 5 years ago, 50 years ago. Now, the question I want to ask of this text is what can we learn from watching Peter <laughs> catch on fire in his faith? Because Jesus is always teaching, always equipping, always coming alongside. So I want to see not just how Peter crashes and burns. I want to see what Jesus is trying to teach him so that he might equip us to have lives of growth that don't crash and burn as we walk with Jesus as well. Do you ever watch the Olympics? One of my favorite things about watching the Olympics, I kind of get bored when it's just people going in laps over and over again. I love when people fail, right? And I don't love it. I feel real bad for them, right? But like when you watch the highlights on TV, they know that's what we like to see, right? We like to see world records and total catastrophic failures, right? And so you, there's something crazy about watching someone who straps on some skis and you realize that they've done this every day for the last like 18 years of their life. They strap on these skis and they get up and they lock in, right? And then it's like, this is your moment or your whole life every day. You've eaten only what your trainer has let you eat and you've gone to the gym like 26 hours a day, right? Every day you dropped out of school, you got tutors, you put in all this money just for this moment where you would lock in, and you see they're like, dude, 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 right? And then the peak of their life is now. And they go around the first turn and, and then it's over. That was their event. Maybe in four years they could try again. That was, that was it. Now, I'm already feeling bad that I say I love to see that. I don't love to see that. And I think one of the reasons that we love to see that is because when you look at these like well-oiled machines of human beings, it's easy to forget that they're human. And then when they see us, when we see them mess up in ways that like, I would die if I messed up in that way, we realize, wow, these machines are people too. 
And Peter is, is walking with Jesus. And as he embarks on this last day with Jesus, Jesus starts with a very foreboding prophecy. And we don't see the prophecy explicitly in Matthew 26. We'll borrow it from, from Luke 22. Jesus is talking to Peter and he says this, Simon, that's Peter's other name, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all like wheat. But, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith would not fail. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. And Simon, as he tends to do, Peter, as he tends to do, gets energized by, by this prophecy, by this word from Jesus. And, and he's like, Jesus, I'm ready. I will follow you to the grave. I'll die with you. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we always think about these three denials of Jesus in terms of those, those big three, right? These are the ones that we hear about when, when Peter literally denies that he knows Jesus in that courtyard next to the fire with Christ over being ready to be crucified. But as you read through Matthew 26, you notice that Peter like fails a thousand other times even before he gets to that courtyard. Jesus finishes his last lecture in the vineyard and he brings them into the Garden of Gethsemane and he tells the disciples, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Please stand watch while I pray. I need my friends right now. I need my disciples right now. Hold me up. And Jesus goes over and he hits his knees and he's praying so hard that he's sweating blood. And he comes back to check on his friends who are supposed to be holding him up, and they're snoring. Like, I don't know if he kicks them, but I picture him like, Peter, could you have not even kept watch for one hour? The time grows near, and he goes back, and he hits his knees, and he prays. He's seeking the Lord, and he's hoping that his friends are holding him up, but they're sleeping again. He says, Peter, wake up. The time is here, right? My accuser is coming. And like, they get up. We got this. We got this. Jesus, I'm sorry about before, but now I got this, right? And, and Judas comes, and the high priest comes, and this armed guard comes, armed guard comes, and Jesus says, what? Am I leading a rebellion that you're coming at me with these clubs, right? And, and Peter's like, did someone say rebellion? And he pulls out his sword. He's like, I got this, Jesus. He didn't literally say that, right? And he runs at the high priest, and he goes, like, chop off his head. And he misses. And he cuts off his ear. And the Bible doesn't tell us the way that Jesus looked at Peter, but I'm picturing Jesus like, oh my goodness. Right? And he picks up the ear, sticks it back to his head, and just heals him. Peter, this is not what we're doing today. I'm going willingly. And they take Jesus away. And Peter's just standing there in the darkness, right? The other disciples are scattering, and Peter's thinking, I, I keep messing up, right? I gotta do something, right? And he runs off towards Jesus at a distance to try to stay close to him. It's one of those nights where Peter wants to be at his peak performance, but he, he can't seem to do anything, right? Have you ever had a day like that? God, I just, I just need to be all in today. I'm going to go to this party, and I just I want to talk to someone about you. I, I want to just be selfless. I want to serve, right? And you show up, and you get selfish, right? You do the things you said you weren't going to do. 
the guy, I, I need to nail it today, right? I, I'm going to go and share the gospel with this person, and I just need you to give me words, and I need to lean into it. Give me boldness, right? And you go to share, and you just can't even say it, and everything you say is worse and worse, and you can't make sense. You're, God, what's wrong with me? Say, so God, I'm sorry for the thing I did last weekend. This week is going to be different, right? And you wake up like, all right, today's the day that's different. But it's the same. It's worse. You fall on your face again. You feel like every week you're praying that same prayer. God, forgive me for what I did last week. Let me be a better person this week. God, I, I feel like I'm not growing. I feel like I'm not thriving. I feel like I should be farther along than I am right now. I feel like I shouldn't fail in this way anymore. I feel like when I tell you I'm going to do something, by this point in my Christian life, I should have the courage, the ability, the guts to just do it. God, it starts again tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going to get up early. I'm going to read the Bible, right? It's daylight savings. It should be early, easy to get up early. And then we don't. Then we feel guilty. Then we try it again. And then we fail again. And Peter has that kind of day on the most critical day in human history. The day when Jesus was going to the cross to die for the sins of mankind. He just can't do it. He can't stay awake when he's trying to pray. He can't keep his sword in his sheath when it's time to relax. He can't distinguish his own agenda from Jesus' agenda, and he keeps putting his foot in his mouth. There's something broken where he can't perform spiritually when it's critically necessary. I love just looking back at that verse that we put up on the screen from Luke 22, because we get to see that whole like Matthew 26 day like lived out in a paragraph in front of our eyes where, where Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I, I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you hear that, you can imagine Simon saying, yes, I'm going to be the one who doesn't fall asleep. I'm going to be the one who doesn't fail to serve you. I'm going to be the one who doesn't fail to cut off someone's head if I need to, Right? But even in Jesus' words, you also see the flip side, that he's going to fail in some way, but it will not be, according to Jesus, catastrophic, where he's not going to fail and disqualify himself for life. He says, I pray that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned back, right, after you fail a little bit, I've got some more work for you to do. Simon, Satan has asked to, to sift you disciples and destroy them, but I prayed for you specifically that your, the flame of the gospel in your heart will not be extinguished. And so after the dust settles and you do all the stuff that I know you're going to do and deny me three times and all that, I've got work for you to do. So go back and find the other guys who aren't even close in this moment and bring them back to strength again. I, I need you on the other side of this failure. I love picturing Jesus praying for Peter, knowing that Peter has limitations, knowing that Peter's going to deny him knowing that he's going to be deserted by Peter as well as everyone else, but still praying, God, I know that Satan wants to destroy this man, but don't let him destroy him outright. Give him enough faith that on the other side, when the dust settles, I can still use him. And Jesus goes to Peter with confidence and says, and on the other side, I've got a plan for you. I want to use you. And this is one of those things that we feel like, well, that's unique to Peter, but it's not. 
In the book of Romans, we hear that, that one of the functions of Jesus right now with the right hand of the throne of God is interceding for us, praying for us. That when we don't know what we ought to pray for, the spirit inside of us intercedes for us. And Jesus is asking of the Father to us that at the same time as we are failing and we are falling and we're striving to live through this life and we keep falling on our faith and Satan is saying, let's destroy these people. Jesus is talking to the Father and saying, do not let them be destroyed. That's why Jesus can promise things about us, like that no one can pluck you out of his hand, that he are in his grip for eternity. If you're truly a believer in Jesus, nothing can put the fire out that's inside of you. And he prays to that end for us today. If you're a Christian, you will continue to be a Christian until the end of time because no one can put out what Christ has lit in you. And Peter didn't realize that in the midst of his performance failures. But it was true. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. Jesus knew Peter was going to falter. But Jesus knew he had plans for him on the other side. It was interesting to me as we think through this chapter and kind of watch all this stuff happen in Peter's life that when we think of Peter denying Jesus, we never think about Peter failing to pray for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When we think of Peter denying Jesus, we never think about the way that Peter tried to commit murder for Jesus right before Jesus went to the cross. Th- those aren't the things that come to my mind when we think about denying Jesus. And those weren't the things that Jesus was forecasting when he talked about denying Jesus. All that Jesus is talking about is the moment in the courtyard where Peter says, I don't know Jesus. That was the pinnacle of his denial. In fact, when Jesus comes back in John 21 and restores Peter to ministry, he doesn't even mention what happened in the prayer garden. He doesn't even mention what happened when he tried to murder the high priest. All he talks about is those three times that Peter denies his relationship with Jesus. I kept wondering this week, what? Why is that the pinnacle of his denial? The other things. Murder seems worse. Failing to pray for Jesus at a critical moment seems worse than standing around a fire and getting nervous and saying, oh, no, I'm not one of the disciples. And yet when Peter follows Jesus into that courtyard and, and to enter, someone says, wait, are you with him? He's like, no, 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 no. And then he comes around the fire and someone says, no, you're one of the Galileans. He's like, I'm not... And then someone says, no, truly, you're one of the disciples, right? I hear you speaking the language. I saw you with him. Says Peter starts down calling down curses on himself and says, may God strike me dead if I know Jesus of Nazareth. And just then in the narrative, we see that Peter and Jesus lock eyes and a rooster starts to crow. And the total failure of Peter's life culminates when he denies his relationship with Jesus. You know why I think that the, the verbal denial is a graver issue than the lack of prayer denial and the attempted murder of the high priest denial? Even those things, even though those previous things were, were way worse performance, were way more catastrophic of a failure than anything I've ever done, right? I've never tried to murder someone. I think the reason that Jesus is trying to get us to see that the primary denial happened in that courtyard is because when it comes to performance, God does not work through our performance, and God works through our relationship with him. 
And in the denial in the courtyard, when, when Peter is denying his relationship with Christ, and Jesus is realizing, okay, that's the one thing that you cannot sever. Or you can mess up royally and, and still be used by God, right? God causes all, all things to work together for the good of those who love him, right? You can totally botch something and God can redeem it. Right? You could do something totally terrible and be forgiven and God can still even use it in some way. Right? Because the reason that God works through you has nothing to do with your performance, right? It's him working through you. And so the most important thing that we all need to have intact is a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Right? And so the moment that Peter denies the relationship, it's like he's cut the major artery in his faith. And to Jesus, that was way worse than trying to kill someone. That was way worse than falling asleep in the most critical moment of Jesus' prayer ministry. The worst thing Peter ever did, in a sense, was trying to sever his relationship with Christ because that's where the power of God working through him would be for the rest of his life. And this is exactly what Jesus told Peter right before they went into that prayer garden. Right? They had the communion meal. They went out into the vineyard. And Jesus had his last sermon. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Sever the relationship. You can accomplish nothing. You're no better than a branch on the ground. You're going to wither and die and be thrown in the fire and burn. You need to stay in me if anything's going to happen. Don't let anything but come between your relationship with me because in relationship, that's where the spirit flows to change your life and change the world through you. So all you have to remember is don't sever your relationship with me. And the beautiful thing about, about this truth that God works through our relationships is that even though our bodies might be breaking down, even though some of us might feel like our minds are breaking down, right? Even though sometimes our lives are breaking down and we feel like maybe I peaked, right? Maybe my best days are behind me. Now, the truth is that your best spiritual days are ahead of you if you develop an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the work that needs to happen in your life has nothing to do with the performance that you're going to do for God. The work that God's going to do in your life happens through the relationship that you have with him. I know people in this world who have very little functionality of their physical bodies. And yet God is using them in amazing ways because he's working through his relationship with them. I know people who have, they've gotten older, they felt like, man, my mental capacities are diminishing and I can't remember some things that I used to remember and I'm not as attuned anymore to some of these things that I used to be able to just say and I can't find the words, but God is using them in this season of their life like never before because even though their brain is starting to falter, their relationship with Christ is strong and he's still working through that relationship to change the world around them. Your performance doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. Your performance doesn't make you a better citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Your relationship with Jesus got you in. And through the relationship you have with Jesus, the Spirit will work in your life to change you and the world. And that's how it works. And so hey, you can mess up. You can do a bad thing. You can seek forgiveness, right? You can be realizing, I'm falling apart. But as you grow in your relationship with Jesus, that's when growth starts happening again. And some of us get in these patterns where we're really just trying to pull ourselves up from our bootstrap, by our bootstraps all the time. Right, we keep failing, we try better, 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 but we're trying the wrong thing, right? Don't try to be better. Jesus says, if you confess your sins, this is what 1 John says, God is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not if you 
confess your sins and then get better, right? Confess your sin. Let Jesus start to clean you. And out of the relationship where the Spirit is working in you, that's where progress is made, not by trying harder to be a better person. Some of the things that we need to learn as we learn about the importance of relating to Jesus, you can write some of these things down if you'd like to, is that you can grow your relationship with Jesus through prayer. Now, next Sunday night, we have a house of prayer, prayer meeting. That's a place that you can come and join that community and be growing in your vibrancy through prayer. As you get to know Jesus through prayer, you grow in your relationship with him. I think it's no accident that one of the things that fell apart in Peter's last night here with Jesus was he fell asleep praying, right? He's losing that relationship. We're sensing it. Grow your relationship with Jesus through prayer. One thing that we can know and grow in is to know Jesus' heart so we can walk in his spirit. And one of the things I love about watching Peter is we get a glimpse of him on his last day where he's trying to wrap his mind around what his place is in the kingdom of God, right? That's why he's trying to kill someone and be a vigilante, whatever. And he's just botching it over and over again. But then we fast forward to Peter in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 where he's been broken, he's been beaten, he's messed up, he's been restored, but he's just sitting in a room with the other disciples praying, and as they pray, the Spirit of God shows up in a powerful way, and things start happening that are amazing. And Peter knows, okay, I think I know what to do. And he stands up and shares the gospel, and thousands of people get saved as the Spirit indwells him and works through him to change the world. And one of the reasons that God wants us to pray is not just so we can stay connected with him, but as we pray, we grow in our relationship with him. We're more kind of wrapping our minds around the mind of Christ. We're able to use by God to do the things God wants us to do as his spirit works through us to change the world. The last thing that we can do to cultivate a stronger relationship with Jesus is to cherish our relationship with him above all else. Now, I watched a, an interview this week. This is not a spiritual thing. I watched an interview this week with Kevin Hart. Uh, if you don't know who that is, that's, you can Google it or not. Uh, and and one of the questions in the interview was, man, Kevin, you've been working so hard to kind of get yourself to peak performance, right? You've been working out. You've been growing yourself. You've been growing your brand, right? You're at the gym all the time. You're eating right, right? I see on your Instagram, you're like huge now. That said, Kevin, what are you most proud of after all that work? He said, you know what? I'm not proud of any of my muscles. I'm not proud of my physique. I'm proud of my mind, right? Because I've really gotten myself to a place where my brain is strong, and while he said that, I thought, oh, man, your brain's going to decompose in the same way that your muscles are going to decompose. And it made me think, you know what, I, I hope that I can get to a point someday that I can answer a question like that and say, the thing that I'm most proud of in my life is my relationship with Jesus. Because as my body wastes away, as my brain wastes away, as my self-control might waste away from time to time, as my life might waste away, as my outward self is fading away, I want to be able to boast that Christ is still amazing and that anything that happens through my life is because he has done it through me, that him in me is the hope of glory. Nothing I bring to the table brings anything to the table. But if we're going to boast, let's boast in Jesus and in the fact that he sometimes uses us as we get out of the way to let him work through us. This morning we get to close our time by taking part in the very activity that Jesus initiated for us to remember that our relationship with him is all that matters. 
Right, right before Jesus was taken to be crucified, right before the prayer garden, right before the lecture on the Mount of Olives and in the vineyard, Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. His last meal with these guys. And he was forecasting what was about to happen. And he takes this bread and, and he breaks it and he passes it to his disciples. He says, this is my body, which is for you. He takes this cup of wine and he passes it around and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And for thousands of years, we've been eating this bread and drinking this cup and remembering that Jesus is everything. Remembering that we can't perform our way into heaven. His death on the cross paid for our sins. Remembering that there's nothing in us that is good and can do anything, but him in us is the hope of glory. So this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus, as you grab this bread and grab this cup, what I'd love for you to reflect on is that Christ in you, as you ingest these elements, a reminder that Christ in you is everything. Amen. And you without Christ is nothing. Anything good in you is flowing out of the relationship that he has created in you. And so cherish that. Hold this bread, hold this cup, and cherish that. And I'll come up, I'll pray and we'll eat and drink together. Let's pray.